You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, uh, we are beginning a new series today. It's going to be a little mini-series leading up to Christmas called Made for More. You were made for more. Turn to somebody close by and point at them and look at them and say, you were made for more. Mean it. Say it like you mean it. Praise God. You know, I think sometimes we settle. And, and uh, you know, I, I believe one of the reasons the Lord laid this on my heart was, you know, we're leading up into 2024. And I don't know about you, but I'm believing for 2024 to be an awesome year. And so I want us to prepare for that ahead of time. Now, we're going to tie this into Christmas and, uh, you know, but I, I just didn't have it in my heart to spend all the month of December preaching Christmas messages. So I wanted to, uh, you know, get this and then we'll build it in and incorporate it to Christmas. But let's look at uh, our scripture. By the way, if you came in and didn't receive a handout, hold your hand up. We've got some extras in the back. We'll get one to you. Uh, but I want you to be able to take some notes today, and uh, as I do every Sunday, and I want you to get some things in your heart because I believe this is very, very important. And uh, so let's look at our, our scripture that we're basing this on. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, and I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible. You have it there on your notes in your hand now. But it says this, for it is by free grace. Everybody say free grace. Free say it again. And parenthetically, it said, God's unmerited favor that you are saved. Aren't you glad? You know, Jesus did all the hard work. I'm going to say that again. Jesus did all the hard work. He paid the price. And, uh, you know, so I love the fact that it's free grace. All we have to do is receive it. Praise God. For it is by free grace, God's unmerited favor, that you are saved and parenthetically, again, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God. Say, say it's the gift of God. Say, my salvation is a gift from God. I don't have to work for it. I can't earn it. It's a gift. And I receive that gift. All right, verse nine. Not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone can possibly do. So no one can pride himself in it or take glory to himself. And this is one of my all-time favorite scriptures in verse 10. For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time. And this is where we're building into that we should walk in them living the good 
life. Say good life. Living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, I know that there are trials and tribulations that we all face. We all face life, everything. You know, we're not exempt from the, the problems of this world and the things that the world faces. However, we face it differently. We face it with, with salvation and with hope and with an answer. But what I want us to understand is, you know, and I hear Christians sometimes, you know, bemoan their Christian life. Oh, this life is so hard. This life is so tough. You know, and uh, it almost makes you wonder, well, why did you get saved if it's that bad? Well, the truth of the matter is, and I love what Paul said here, he said that Christ, or God through Christ, prearranged and made ready for us a good life. Say a good life has been arranged for me. Now, guess what? It's your decision and my decision whether we're going to walk in that good life. Now, again, I'm not saying that the good life is exempt from trials and tribulations. However, you know, there, God has an answer for everything. Jesus covered it all when he died on the cross. So, again, this is a good life. Let me say it to you this way. You know, and I've said this to you before, but it bears repeating, and I want to make sure I get this right. Um, earth is the only hell that a Christian is ever going to experience. The earth is the only heaven that a sinner's going to experience. Does that help you put it into perspective a little bit? Okay, so listen. Even on our worst day here, we have it awesome in, in the, you know, when you look at the scope of our lives as believers, including eternity, we've got it really good. Amen? So there is a good life that Jesus has bought and paid for and God prearranged and made ready for us. Now, the question might be, when did God do this? When did God prearrange this good life for us? Well, let's look at another scripture, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Paul wrote this. He said, just as he, God, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, I don't know if we grasp that. Before the world was ever created, before Adam was ever created, before the sun, the moon, the stars, the planet heaven, everything, I mean the place heaven, the planet earth, everything in creation, before all of that was done, you were already in the heart and the mind of God. God knew you, he, know, he knew your name, he knew you'd be sitting in this room today, he knew everything about you, he knows everything about you, and the good news is, he chose you anyway. Can I get a better amen than that? Hallelujah. Now when? Before the foundation of the world. In other words, God made up his mind, before anything ever began, I want you. Yes. Say this after me. Say, God, God wants, wants me. me. 
Hallelujah. Don't ever forget that. But, so he chose us before the foundation of the world. So he prearranged this good life for us before the foundation of the world. And let's finish the verse, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, there's just one hiccup to all this. There's one challenge to all this, one problem with all of this, however you want to articulate it. If God has planned and prearranged this good life for us, um, then it is there for us and it technically belongs to us, but there's something that, that caused a hitch in all of this. Now, you know, the latest craze, and it, it's fading out a little bit, but if, if, you know, if you're any kind of a TV watcher, um, you know, it seems like over the last 10 years or so, a big fad in TV shows and movies is the zombie apocalypse. You know, there was, uh, what was that show? Um, the Walking Dead, okay? You know, which was all about zombies and all of this kind of stuff. And I remember... Oh, probably 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more, Will Smith did a movie called I Am Legend. Anybody ever saw that? Where he played a doctor and there was this virus that was let loose in the earth and if you got the virus, you turned into this monster-like creature and, and would attack and, and try and infect anybody or any animals that you know were not yet infected. Thank God that is not the case. Uh, in the natural sense, but I do want to let you know it is the case in the spiritual sense. There is a virus that was let loose in the earth in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned and it is called the virus of sin and death. Now, we've been told, you know, and, and a lot of people have been duped into thinking that maybe the answer to this virus is, well, you just need to get more education. You know, if you could go, and I'm not against education at all, but, you know, if you can just go and accumulate all the education and information that you possibly can, that will cause your life to be better, and you will be able to experience a good life. Granted, it might improve your life and might qualify you for better job and so forth and so on, but it is not the answer to this virus. You know, there's another line of thinking that money is the answer to this virus. Well, I'll let you in on a little secret. You might be the richest person in the world, but if your body is riddled with cancer or some type of disease, that money will not help you at all. It won't do a thing for you. It might be able to buy you some treatment and so forth and, and maybe facilitate you getting better. But the fact of the matter is money doesn't do anything to improve the condition of somebody's life, especially eternally. Now, what it actually does, money can actually cause good people to turn into greedy people. You know, the Bible says, and don't misinterpret or don't misquote this verse. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. So people that fall in love with money are in, in line for a world of hurt. So let's, let's get to your notes. If you're writing things down, write this down for me, please. 
And this is it. The, the truth is that we, we are included in this before Christ, that we and people all around us have been affected, infected rather, and affected by the virus. And I think sometimes we underestimate the toll that sin takes on humanity. You know, if you think about it this way, you know, everything that's going on in our world right now, you know, you think about the war in the Middle East that's going on right now. You think about the war in Ukraine that's going on right now. You think about uh, the ills of people that are, are being experienced by large numbers of people in Africa and so forth and so on. All of that can be traced back to one word, and that is sin. You know, it was interesting, I, uh, and I do recommend this, on, uh, I believe Amazon Prime it is, I saw it, there's a documentary on there about Tyler Perry, and I like Tyler Perry, and I don't know if you do or not, this isn't a promotion for Tyler Perry, but there's a documentary about his life on there, uh, and it's uh, called Tyler Perry, Maxine's Baby, and uh, it's a great, great story. And, you know, as I was watching that documentary and, you know, a lot of what his success is built out of is his processing and working through things that he experienced as a child. If you know anything about his upbringing, his upbringing was not uh, good. His father was very abusive and so forth and so on. And, and uh, but what he has done is he has learned how to channel that and, and grow out of it and, of course, forgive and move forward and to, you know, allow his life to become something that's absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, and I could quote statistic after statistic about him, and, and he's a phenomenal man. I mean, and I just have the deepest respect and admiration for him. But as I was watching that documentary, and, and they spent the first large portion of the documentary talking about all of the things that happened to him and his upbringing and so forth. I couldn't help but think all of that is because of sin. This man was damaged because of sin. Now you think about, um, you know, anybody, a lot of the people that are, struggling, you know, with gender identity and all of those things that, that young people are facing in today's culture. All of that is stemmed from sin. Anything that you experienced in your life before today that has been negative, has been something that maybe drew, tried to draw you away from your relationship with the Lord or keep you from God at all, all of that is rooted in sin. Now, it's a tough reality, but it is true nonetheless. So when humanity was affected by this virus called sin, it was introduced into the world through this man named Adam. And through Adam, all of humanity was affected by this. I want you to think about this for just a second. If you're familiar with Genesis at all, think, remember this with me. The first murder took place within one generation 
of a man who walked with God and fell. Think about that. It didn't take thousands of years for that to take place. It took one generation for the first murder to take place. So sin is an awful, awful thing. And with sin, write this down please, when sin entered into the world, it brought its companion called death. When sin entered into the world, it brought its companion called death. Now, when I say death, don't think the cessation of functionality in your body. In other words, your body ceases to be alive. Don't, that's part of death, but death takes on many, many, many different forms. Divorce is a type of death. Uh, poverty is a type of death. Sickness and disease is a type of death. Uh, hatred is a type of death. All of these things are results of this thing that tags along with sin called death. Let's look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. And it says this, Therefore, just as through one man, say one man, one man. sin entered into the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So unfortunately, even though you and I came around thousands of years after Adam and his fall, unfortunately because of that, because of what Adam did, you and I were incorporated in that lost, uh, sin-filled, dead humanity. Now, but that's not the end of the story. We'll get to the good point in just a second. All right, so... Again, all of us have been affected by sin to some level or another. Now, that's a harsh reality, but it's true nonetheless. Now, write this down, please. Sin will never let you become what you were meant to be. You remember we talked about how God has a good life. Say good life. Say it again. God has a good life prearranged for all of us. But did you know one of the goals of sin and death is to keep you from that? The devil, who of course is the originator of sin and death, his plan is to keep you away from what God has prearranged for you. To keep you away from the good life that God has for you. But sin will keep you, even if you're a believer... Now, listen to me carefully. Even if you are a believer, you need to understand that the world and everything in it is trying to flow in a direction that is opposite of you getting to the good life that God has prearranged for you. So, I've said this before, but I want to say this again. That's why as a Christian, you can't afford to relax. Do you understand what I mean by relax? Let down your guard. Um, I don't mean you shouldn't rest and, and all of that. I'm talking about going with the flow of the world around you. You can't afford to do that. All right? Now, I know I'm, track with me here. Let's, let's look at something Paul wrote. And, and I love Paul and his honesty here, but... Let's look at some scripture that he wrote. Romans chapter 7, 
verses 18 through 20. Now, I'm going to explain this because it would sound a little puzzling to you, but let's read it anyway. Paul wrote, and he said, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh. Say, in my flesh. Okay. Was Paul born again when he wrote this? Okay. Was he an apostle when he wrote this? Absolutely. Okay. So Paul was born again. He, he had been recreated. So obviously what he's getting ready to talk about here is not what's in him in his spirit. So he explains it. He said, this is in my flesh. He says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, that I want to do, I do not do. But the evil I don't want to do or I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, the reason I said I wanted to explain this is I think this paradox is something that all of us face. Is there anybody in the room besides me that has arrived and is perfect? Y'all missed that, didn't you? I am in no way, shape, or form perfect. I have not arrived. So let me ask it another way. Is there anybody in the room that deals with sin? Oh, let me say it another way because some of y'all are so holy you didn't want to answer that question. Is there anybody in the room that's ever been tempted? Okay, all right. Okay, so you deal with sin. Now, one thing that I want to explain is this. When Paul says, now, if what I don't want to do is, is what happens, what he's explaining to you is not in his spirit, it's in his flesh. So he says, sin still dwells in his flesh. Now, look at me. Sin still dwells in your flesh. Now, one day, that flesh is going to be made new. Hallelujah. And the Bible says that, that our, our flesh will be re, redone. I think we're all going to be 30. Hallelujah. Wrinkle-free. All the ideal weight. All, you know, it's going to be just a beautiful thing. All right? But until then, you and I, deal with sin in our flesh. Now keep in mind, what is the motivation of all that sin? It's to keep you away from the good life that God has prearranged for you. Okay? So the, even though you're born again spiritually, there's still the residue of sin in your flesh that you have to deal with. Now the Bible tells us, we won't turn there, but uh, in James chapter 1, the Bible says when we are tempted, what happens is it's not your spirit that's tempted to sin. What happens is the temptation is presented to you to appeal to that sin that is still present in your flesh. 
And if there's an area of your flesh that you don't have control over, I can guarantee you that's the area that that temptation's gonna show up in. All right? Now, fortunately, now if you're familiar with this, and, and again, uh, we won't look at it for the sake of time, but if you finish out chapter seven, I love, Paul says this, at the very last verse of chapter seven, he says, basically, my paraphrasation, what am I gonna do about all of this? And then he says, but thanks be to God who has delivered me from this, okay? So good news is, you might have that sin residue present in your flesh, but thanks be to God, God has delivered you from having to live in bondage to that. Hallelujah. And then the very next verse, which you know he didn't write it in chapter and verse, but Romans chapter eight, verse one says, there is, therefore, because of everything I just said in the previous verse, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So even though you might deal with some temptation in your flesh, understand this, there is no condemnation on you in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. All right, now, I wanted to establish this because I wanted to, to, again, reiterate to us, you and I cannot afford to just coast through life because if you do, that sin residue that's present in your flesh is gonna do everything it can to keep you from the good life that God has planned for you. How many of us in here want that good life? I do. You should. Okay? So then, we're going to have to deal with some things, and so that's where we're going to get into this. Now, write this down, please. Sin has this way of making you into something you were never meant to be. Sin has a way to make you into something that you were never meant to be. You know, I don't think we fully grasp this. Now again, no condemnation, because obviously, you know, I am recovering from something, dealing with something in my body, but did you know it was never God's plan for you to get sick? Well, that was kind of weak. It was never God's, oh, but pastor, you know, everybody gets a cold, no. It was never God's plan for humanity to be sick. It was never God's plan for humanity to be poor. It was never God's plan for humanity not to have peace. And I'm talking about not absence of conflict, I'm talking about peace in your soul. None of that that we experience in today's society and today's culture and in the world today was part of God's plan. All of that was brought about because of sin. So if you relax and if you coast, sin has a way of not only taking you away from the good life that you were called to experience and that you were made for more, it will turn you into something that you were never meant to be. You might have heard this saying before. I, I, I tried to find who it originated it, but it's a good saying. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. 
It will keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay. I think I probably need to say that again. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay. So I know this goes without saying, talking to believers, but everybody look at me for just a moment and I'm talking to myself the same time I'm talking to you and that is this, you and I cannot afford to play with sin. You know, that might sound strange talking to church people that way, but we can't. We cannot afford to play around with sin. You know, I know that there are believers, unfortunately, that instead of seeing how close they can draw near to God and their relationship with Jesus, they look to see how close they can get to sin without sinning. Well, pastor, I can still do that. I, you know, God's not, okay, no, I mean, you know, you're right. God's not gonna come down and hit you with a bolt of lightning if you do thus and so. But is that good for you? Okay, and, and you know what? There are some things for me that are sin that might not be sin for you. But nonetheless, my Spirit convicts me and tells me, so when I know that it is sin for me, I cannot afford to play with it. Hallelujah. Am I helping anybody so far? Okay, now, so we have identified so far, so far that there's a good life that God has prearranged for all of us. He prearranged it before the foundations of the world, but then Adam bless his heart, he messed it up for all of us. He sinned, he opened the door for sin and death. The goal of sin and death is to keep us from that life that God has prearranged and preplanned for us. But here's the good news. Write this down, please. Christ came to this earth. We're getting ready to celebrate it in a few weeks. Jesus came to this earth not to be a baby, not to live, not to have a wonderful ministry only, but he came so that he could die on a cross and be raised from the dead so that you could become who God prearranged for you to be. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is good news. See, a relationship with Jesus, getting saved, getting born again, is, 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 is the greatest decision that you can make. And I'll be the first one to tell you that. But it is only the beginning. It is only the doorway into the life that God has prepared for you. And let me tell you what the Christian life is all about. You know, T.D. Jakes says Christian, the, the life of a Christian is nothing but a series of new beginnings. And I like that because what really the Christian life is all about is growing close to Jesus, feeding on the word of God and allowing the spirit of God to work in you to take away the residue of sin and death so that you can walk in what God has already prepared for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
But there's a, there's a, a danger in, in this in that, you know, we can begin to think that we only got saved so we, we have fire insurance. You know what that means? I can remember, you know, when I was a kid, I, I, I thought about this. You know, I'm a, I, my church upbringing is I'm Methabapticostal. I started out in the Methodist church, went to the Baptist church, then went to a Pentecostal church, got filled with the Holy Ghost, and so I've experienced all of that. And I remember going to the Baptist church as a, as a young boy. I was maybe 10 years old, 10 or 11 years old. And, um, you know, and I, I, don't, I don't knock it, but I don't think this is the best method of evangelism. But they, on a Sunday night, um, they showed a movie about hell. And it scared the daylights out of me. I mean, it was awful. I mean, the things that they showed and the things that, uh, you know, that and a, to a 10-year-old boy, I mean, I can remember it to this day. And of course, after the movie was over, they gave an invitation. And the, the invitation was basically this. If you don't want to experience that, then come down front and fill out a card. We'll pray a prayer with you and you will never experience that. Well, I, my mama didn't raise a dummy. So when the opportunity came, my hand shot up. I walked down front because <clears throat> I knew I did not want to experience that. So if they had said, when you get down front, you've got to do three somersaults, stand on your head, and eat a bucket full of broccoli, I would have done it if it meant I didn't have to experience that. What am I saying to you? What I'm saying to you is this, that, that I really, and I'm not knocking them, but I really didn't have a life-changing experience. All I did was pray a prayer and fill out a card so that I didn't have to go to hell. And your relationship with Jesus is much, much greater than just not experiencing that. But unfortunately, that's where a lot of Christians are. Is, you know, they think, okay, I'm good. I have my ticket to heaven. I'm on my way to heaven. So if, if something happens and I go to heaven or Jesus comes back, uh, you know, I'm good. I'm good. But God never called you to just be good. I'm all right. God never called you to live a life that way. So let's write this down, please. God's plan for you is that you become the you that he always planned you to be. See, there's a transformation that God wants to do on the inside of you to make you into who he has planned you to be. And, and you know, his dream for your life is so much greater than yours. His plan for your life is so much greater than your own plan. You might be able to dream some pretty big things, but I love what Paul said in Ephesians 3.20, for God is able to do exceedingly abundantly 
above all that we, in the Amplified says, all that we dare, ask, hope, dream, or desire in any area of our lives. I don't care how big you can think, God can think bigger. Hallelujah. Turn to somebody and say, you were made for more. So God's plan for your life is that you become the you that he always planned you to be. So even the Apostle Paul, after what we read in Romans chapter seven, he knew that he couldn't coast, that there was going to be something that has to happen in order for him to become more like Christ. And so, you know, we have these wonderful verses that Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 17, you know it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Say this, say, I am a new creation. I'm not the old person I used to be. I've been recreated. I've been born again. Then he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So say this, I am, I am the righteousness of God. That means I'm right with God forever in Jesus' name. All right, so Paul wrote these wonderful scriptures, but yet there's a scripture that is over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. I'm gonna read it to you from the Passion Translation. It says this, I can testify that the word is true and deserves to be received by all, that Jesus Christ came in the world to bring sinners back to life. Even me, the worst sinner of all. Now, you know, I want to say this. Well, let me finish the verse. Yet I was captured by grace so that Jesus Christ could display me through the outpouring of his spirit a pattern to be seen for all those who would believe in him for eternal life. I want you to remember something. I'll be the first one to tell you, you need to acknowledge who you are in Christ. But do me a favor, don't ever forget where you came from. Okay? Because everything that we are in Christ, we did not do on our own. Because you and I were lost, we were dead, we were undone, we were without hope. I mean, just lost is just the only word I know how to describe it. But because of God's grace, he saved us, he delivered us, and we are born again. So Paul says this, he said, you know, I know where I came from. And you got to remember, this young man, Paul the Apostle, before he was Paul the Apostle, he was responsible for people dying. You know, he was a great persecutor of the early church. The Bible says in Acts chapter 7 that when Stephen was stoned to death, that Paul held the coats of the people who were stoning Stephen to death and he celebrated what was happening to Stephen. And, of course, you know the story. Paul got saved. But here's what Paul did not forget was where he came from and what needed to happen in him for him to become who God wants him to be. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 through 15 in the Amplified Bible. 
It says this, not that I have now attained this ideal or have already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of, I grasp and make for my own that for which Christ the Messiah has laid hold of me and made me his own. I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet, but one thing I do, it is my one aspiration, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press, say press. This in the Greek language means a continuous uh, expenditure of effort. In other words, I know, folks, this is what Paul is saying. I haven't arrived, and I cannot afford to relax and coast. I must press forward toward the goal, he said, to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. What is that? Is he just talking about heaven? No, I believe it's greater than just heaven. He's calling, he's talking about God has called us to a good life. And Paul is saying, I'm forgetting those things which are behind and every day I press towards what I'm made for. And he goes on to say in verse 15, so let those of us, oops, so let those of us who are spiritually mature and full grown have this mind and hold these convictions and if in any respect you have a different attitude of God, my God will make that clear to you also. So don't forget where you've been, where you were, but keep in mind and press forward towards that good life that God has called you to. Now, write this down, please. One of the effects of sin is that sin will make you an opposite. What do I mean by that? I'll explain it in just a second. Sin will make you an opposite. Did you know if you're a mean person, and I know that's none of y'all, but if you're a mean person, that was never God's intention for you to be a mean person. If you're a grouch, a grump, you know, not much fun to be around, that was never God's intention for you. That was never God's plan for you. So sin made you an opposite of what God wanted you to be. If you're depressed, you know, and depression tries to come on all of us, but if you're depressed, that's the opposite of what God intends for you to be. Sin will make you an opposite. But here's what happened. When Jesus came into my life, I changed. And I am changing. And he wants you to change as well and become an opposite of the opposite. In other words, if you're a critic, God wants to make you a helper. If you're a downer, anybody ever been around a downer? You know what a downer is? You know, not, that you, you talk to them and you're having a great day and by the time you get through with that 30-second conversation, your day is awful. <laughs> They're a downer. If you're a downer, God wants to make you an encourager. If you're filled with bitterness and anger, God wants to make you someone who can love others unconditionally. God wants to work in our lives. So write this down, please. For you to become, uh, let's see, for you to become who you were meant to be, life change must be an ongoing daily process. And we're gonna have fun over the next couple of weeks with this. I wish, you know, I, I, I wish that when I really did, and this happened a couple, few years later, 
couple years later, but when I really did give my heart to Christ, I wish God could have waved a magic wand over my life and all of a sudden I was everything God wanted me to be. That all of my anger, bitterness, you know, all of that was gone. I wish it was all gone, but it doesn't work that way. It's a process. Everybody say process. So we read in the scriptures about the wonderful man of God that Paul became, but did you realize that what we read, uh, and we read it in about eight or nine chapters in the book of Acts, from Paul's conversion to him becoming the man of God that we know him to be, you know, and, and we can sit down and we can read those eight or nine chapters in an hour, two hours, okay? Did you know that took 30 years of Paul's life, okay? For him to go from the man who was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus to the place where God could use him to see thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people born again, see signs, wonders, and miracles. God used him in the, in the way that he did. It did not happen overnight. And, and uh, you know, I don't want to be a downer, but, you know, I'm here to tell you, you need to start today, if you haven't already, moving towards who God wants you to be and understand it's a process. So can I say this to you? Cut yourself some slack, all right? Because here's what's going to happen. One day when you miss reading the Bible, the devil's going to beat you up about that. And you know what you're going to say? You know what, Mr. Devil? I might miss, might have missed yesterday, but because of that, I'm going to read two portions today. And don't lose any sleep over it. It's a process. Everybody say process. Okay, becoming who you were meant to be is a process. Now, I want to read to you in closing, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We read it a while ago in the Amplified. I want to read it to you in uh, the New Living. It says this, for we are God's masterpiece. Say that, I am God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Do you know what a masterpiece is? A masterpiece is a piece of art um, that has no value. It's priceless. You know, there are some museums, especially in Europe. You know, I'm thinking of the Louvre in Paris where, you know, they have works of art like the Mona Lisa and other works that are absolutely priceless. They could never be replaced. That's who you are to God. You are absolutely priceless. You are his work of art. He is at work in you, causing you to become the person that you were called to be, who you were meant to be, and you are his masterpiece. And the more you let him work in your life, the more effective you're going to become, the more valuable to the body of Christ you're going to become, and you will just be absolutely phenomenal because you're going to be walking out what God has planned for you. That's what this verse says. So that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. You know, one of my favorite artists, I'm, I, you know, I'm not a big art guy, but I'm aware, and... Uh, you know, one of my favorite artists is Michelangelo. 
You know, if you think about the talent that that man had in, in uh, you know, the 1500s when he, you know, you think about it, he painted, laid on his back for weeks and painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. He, he carved the, I mean, if you're, if you're familiar with the statue of David, a beautiful artwork made out of marble. And there's a particular statue that he did of an angel out of, out of one solid piece of marble. And when he would begin his work, they would bring in this huge block of marble. It looked nothing like what he wanted it to look like. And so by the time he was all said and done and working on, on you know, whatever project it was, by the time he was done, he would, before him, would have this beautiful, beautiful work of art. Priceless. Priceless. You can never replace the statue of David. You can never replace the Sistine Chapel. You can never replace the statue of this angel. And so one day somebody was asking him how he did what he did with this angelic statue that he carved. And, and I found a picture of the statue and, and what he said. He said, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. And I, when, I, when I heard this, and I heard this years ago, but when I heard this, I said, that's exactly what God is doing with us. When God looks at you, he doesn't see a mess. You might, he doesn't. He doesn't see a mess going somewhere to happen. He doesn't see all of the failures. He doesn't see all of your past and what you've experienced and the heartache and all of that. He's aware of it, but he doesn't focus on that. When he looks at you, he sees that work of art and what he does and begins the day you give your heart to Christ is to chip away and chip away and carve until that masterpiece is revealed. And it becomes clear for everybody to see. Here's the good news in all of this. God knows what is simply on the inside of every one of us that needs to be unlocked so that we can become exactly who he meant for us to be and we can live in the good life that he prearranged for us. Last thing I want you to write down is this. The good news is this. You were made for more. And that's God's plan for each and every one of us. So we're gonna have fun with this over the next couple of weeks. And of course, all of this is because Jesus came. All of this is because he came into the earth he did become a baby, was born in a manger, lived a life for us. But the truth of the matter is, again, he died on the cross and was raised from the dead so all of this could become possible for us. Aren't you glad? Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.